This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. General Motors announcing plans to close five North American production plants and cut 15% of salaried workers starting next year. The plants being shut down are in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada, Hamtramck, Michigan, Lordstown, Ohio, Warren, Michigan, and one outside of Baltimore, Maryland. In addition, General Motors going to discontinue some of its vehicles like the Chevy Volt, Chevy Cruze, and the full-size Impala while ending U.S. sales of the Cadillac XTS, Buick LaCrosse, and Cadillac. Cadillac CT6 in 2019. CEO Mary Barra said that she didn't see any trouble on the immediate horizon, but is restructuring the company now to prepare for changes in the industry, including a greater investment in electric and self-driving vehicles. With more on this move, we're joined on the phone by John Paul McDuffie, management professor here at the Wharton School and director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute for Innovation Management. Eric Gordon, professor at the University of Michigan's Ross School of Business and Marina Whitman, Professor Emerita of Business Administration and Public Policy at the University of Michigan and a former vice president with General Motors. John Paul, Eric, Marina, thank you all for your time today. Good Good morning. Glad to be here. Thank you, Marina. With uh, with your background, I will go to you first and your reaction. Okay, my reaction. It's typical of Mary Barra. She has always been focused on... Profit, profits not on size, and her past actions have shown that. And now, between changes in the market, no more demand for sedans, uh, increased costs, partly because of the, the uh, tariffs on uh, aluminum and President Trump's tariffs on aluminum and steel, and the need looking to the future to have funds available for investing in uh, automatic vehicles and electric vehicles. So that what she's doing, I believe, looking at it from the outside, is absolutely right for General Motors. That is, she is not, it's not a sign of trouble. It's a sign that she wants to avert trouble. Uh, particularly when the next downturn comes, which will sooner or later. Obviously, uh, it is tough on the areas, and I've lived, I lived in Michigan for 35 years, uh, on the areas. But I do think that it greatly reduces the likelihood of real trouble um, going forward. John Paul, what's your reaction? Yeah, I, you know, Marina has given a very good summary of the, some of the things going on that have led to this decision. And I suppose to um, someone like me who's followed the auto industry for a long time, there's uh, a, a long pattern historically of the auto industry making adjustments when demand fluctuates, and demand fluctuates sometimes because of the business cycle. And we're seeing some of that, you know, with signs of the the a bit of waning of, of the long recovery, although we're, we're not certainly at a point when the economy is in, in trouble. Um, and then also adjusting uh, whenever there's a shift in consumer demand and how that affects plants. I mean, and then for someone uh, like me who follows manufacturing, um, these plants, the ones closed, announced as being closed, have been reducing 
their production for uh, quite a while now, you know, down from uh, three shifts to two shifts, two shift to one shift. These assembly plants are uh, huge, very capital intensive to run them at much less than capacity is uh, can be a, a money losing uh, venture. And so with no sign of the demand for the cars made in these plants turning up, um, I sort of expected some kind of action. Uh, that said, there are these new features, which are partly very uh, characteristic of Mary Barra's style, as, as Marina mentioned, that she has uh, no longer trying to maintain GM strength in terms of size and volume of sales, but rather in terms of profitability and, and agility. And then this new industry reality that the incumbent automakers have to run their legacy businesses in ways that allow them to invest in these new uh, technologies, new business models, all the disruptive changes coming to uh, mobility. Eric, get your reaction on that. And then also uh, the fact that I, I guess this is coming on top of the news of a buyout offer to, to certain GM employees last month as well. Yeah, I think that latter part is pretty important. So it's not just about closing the factories. It's also about thinning the executive ranks, uh, about some 15% of salaried employees, 25% of executives. So what uh, Mary as CEO is doing is, is, is bigger than just closing factories. And I think this is, a, this is bigger than just, well, we have some factories turning out unpopular small cars that are unprofitable and, un, um, and uh, unpopular. Uh, it's also, I think, about the fact that the auto industry is going to be selling fewer cars of any type. Because if it was just demand shifting from one type of vehicle to another type of vehicle, you'd say, well, let's make some of the popular vehicles in these plants instead of closing them. She's trying to reduce the overall manufacturing capacity because going forward, there are going to be fewer individually owned cars. 844-WHARTON is the number if you would like to join in with your comments or questions. 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. We're joined uh, on the phone by Marina Whitman, uh, who is a professor emerita at the University of Michigan and also former vice president with GM. Eric Gordon, also the University of Michigan at the Ross School of Business. And John Paul McDuffie from here at the Wharton School. Marina, when you looked at also the 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 different styles of cars that they are going to get rid of one that probably stood out for some people was the Chevy Volt especially if you're talking about the want to have more electric vehicles uh, moving forward but that being said i guess it's also the comparison with the fact that people seem to not want to have as many passenger vehicles sedans as they have in the past now that is apparently quite true and um One thing I think that is perhaps a bit of a surprise is that the auto industry had turned to making smaller vehicles on the expectation that customers would care more about fuel efficiency. But at the moment, they seem to care more about um, convenience. The Volt, well, as I remember it, the car that is really innovative is not the Volt, but the Bolt. Right. I notice that they are not uh, reducing production of that. So it may well be that they see that as the innovative 
car of the future that is the one that is already on the road right. and are going to focus on that one. John Paul, is that uh, your opinion as well? Yes, uh, yeah, the Volt was kind of a bridge um, vehicle for GM getting into uh, a sort of a, uh, an electric design. They retrofitted uh, a more existing vehicle architecture to accommodate the electric drivetrain, and the Bolt was really their first completely rethought design of an electric vehicle. It has a much uh, longer uh, range and has many more features that um, that consumers would want and has won a bunch of awards. So, yeah, this is, I don't think, represents at all a step away from GM's commitment on electric, more of focusing on its latest and future models. So, and then, and then how does this also plan? And I believe it was Ford, uh, John Paul, a month or so ago that that said that they were going to be cutting out a variety of, of production models as well. Yeah, it's the same response to the decline in uh, U.S. consumer interest in sedans. And uh, it's certainly true that there were bets on, uh, you know, going back into investing in car lines and smaller car lines a few years back, uh, uh, both to, you know, kind of make sure that these companies didn't lose their ability to compete in those categories, but also uh, with the thought that in a poor economy, with the risk of gas prices going up, consumers would flock to them, um, and they really haven't. Uh, could this be a permanent shift away from sedans? Um, I guess we'll have to see about the consumer uh, response. But you know, companies like Honda and uh, Toyota that have strong uh, sedan models in the U.S. market, like the Camry and the Accord, uh, have said that they're not backing away from those segments one bit. They may just simply compile more market share for their models, and it mm-hmm. may be harder for anyone else to get into those. Uh, you know, the demand that's left for those um, segments. Eric, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, it's hard to see the U.S. car makers going back to sedans. Think back uh, maybe a generation when we went from what used to be called station wagons to minivans. We never went back to station wagons. Why? Well, the minivans were, for most people, better. Nobody who needed that space wanted it in in the station wagon configuration. So I, you know, I think people who buy sedans will probably continue to buy sedans, but I, I don't see the U.S. car makers going back. I, I think what you're seeing is um, both Ford and GM, to a lesser extent Fiat Chrysler, looking forward and saying, you know, we don't want to be caught behind. The U.S. car makers have been behind the ball so many times and have been so criticized for it, and it's hurt them so that uh, I, I think they've finally gotten the message, and they're not, they don't want to be left behind again. Any impact on, on this in your mind, Eric, in part, or I, I shouldn't say as a main driver, but maybe as, as a small factor with uh, maybe some of the changes in production that have gone on with some of these companies, and, and in part GM uh, with their production in Mexico and the changes with the trade deal uh, in terms of the increased costs that they're going to have to assume uh, if they're going to continue production, uh, production down in Mexico? Well, so the so GM says uh, the tariffs are costing them a billion dollars on inputs, all of the steel and aluminum that they that they import. I I think everything fits together to, at some level, but but I think we're looking at a separate phenomenon here. I think what's led to the plant closings is not that it's costing more. GM actually has reduced costs. GM's profits have gone up 
Um, it's, it's, it's profit margins have gone up. They've managed costs quite well, largely because they're not doing as much discounting. I, right. I think, uh, you know, the, the tariffs don't help them on the cost side. Um, I don't think you're going to see uh, runaway plants. That, that seems unfeasible. It's just that the plants that are producing the unpopular cars are not in Mexico. Yeah. They are here in Hamtramck. They're, they're across the river from where I sit in Ontario, and they're, they're down in Ohio. They're, they're, they're not in Mexico. Marina, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I, I think that's absolutely right. Um, I can't stress enough that this is an attempt to get, for once, as, as someone said, uh, ahead of the curve and try to be ready for what uh, Mary and I think many people who follow the auto industry see coming in the way of consumer demand. So then, so then, how do you think then the the want to invest more in electric vehicles and the want to obviously invest more in self driving is going to impact jobs for an automaker like General Motors moving forward, Marina? Oh, I think the trend which has been going on for a long time now is going to continue and possibly even accelerate. And that is a huge decline in automotive employment in the United States, uh, despite the China shock, has really been increases in productivity that the auto industry in the U.S., uh, at least until very recently, was producing more cars than it ever had before with less than half as many employees. And I think the shift to self-driving cars and uh, all-electric cars is going to continue that. Um, These are large fixed investments uh, demanding a lot of capital. uh, And I do believe that it's going to, as I say, continue and maybe even speed up this shift to uh, the reduced number of employees per car or per hundred cars. Dan, here's, yep. here's something neither the president nor anybody can stop. Electric vehicles uh, have fewer parts and are easier to assemble right. than the cars we, we, we're used to, the internal combustion engine cars with the transmissions. Um, and that alone is going to reduce employment on the manufacturing side. Yeah. You know, we'll have more people doing software and sensors, but you don't need a ton of them. But a car with fewer parts that's easier to assemble inevitably leads to fewer people on the line. And so that's why they they closed the uh, facilities in Warren, Michigan and outside of Baltimore because those were both transmission locations. Yeah, those would be interesting to see what happens in, but those yeah, those are those they make the propulsion systems but they make the propulsion systems that will probably not be used um, yeah. 10 years from now. John Paul? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> there's a long practice in the auto industry of, you know, a logic of build where you sell. So, um, and that may be focused in a country. We know that the foreign automakers, uh, many of them from different countries, have come and built plants in the U.S. in order to be able to sell vehicles here. 
we know that there's actually, despite the low manufacturing costs in China, there's uh, next to no cars uh, built in China that are imported into the U.S. They yeah. haven't proved popular enough uh, yet with our consumers. Um, the thing that's happened worldwide is for a more regional as opposed to national logic to come to characterize where those investments have taken place. So, you know, it, it took a while, but now there's an awful lot of, uh, you know, U.S. 3 investment in Mexico for building uh, even SUVs and pickups, right? So it was originally just the place for small cars, but now some of those bigger and high-profit vehicles are being made in Mexico as part of this regional uh, kind of logic. So so I think that's one of the longer-term trends that we're seeing um, reflected here. There were, were no announced closings of, uh, of 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 plants, you know, outside uh, outside the U.S. Although I guess some international plants will will be closed. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is I as and you, I've you, you and I have talked about this before, and I believe that the switch to electric and autonomous vehicles is coming, but will be slower than many predict. And so the direct consequences for manufacturing employment from that switch, I think, is still a bit hard to um, forecast. It's true that electric drivetrains are simpler and have fewer parts, but we're also adding tremendous amounts of new technology and complexity into vehicles, and we don't know exactly how that affects um, manufacturing plants. It could be that more things are done at suppliers, right. and then uh, and suppliers typically have you know pay less and and um, and aren't the same jobs as assembly plants. But uh, and, and the car remains, uh, you know, not a modular product like a PC, but a very integral product that requires a lot of sophistication in pu- pu- pulling everything together. So, I don't disagree with Eric, but I think that um, particular development will be slower and won't be the main driver for employment reductions that we're seeing now. So then, Eric, play off of that comment, and and what then does this do to a company like General Motors in that that period of time between now and when they really have the ability to ramp up production of uh, of EVs? So this is a this is a very tricky time. You have one foot in the manufacturing and sale of what you won't be selling. Ten years from now, I, I, I agree with John Paul. These stories about we're all going to be electric and autonomous in two years are—it's just not possible. So, so GM and Ford, Fiat, Chrysler, and the rest of them have one foot in what's paying the bills today, and and probably for five or ten years, right. um, but have to make at the same time gigantic investments in technology and manufacturing facilities for their their new uh, models their new electric vehicles so it's a very very it's a very very tough time for the car companies um, and not a time not a time to be timid I, I agree with something Marina said earlier I mean Mary Barra is the I think uh, the boldest GM CEO in uh, in many many years I, I guess Marina, part of that may come from the fact that that she is a, basically a lifer in the, the General Motors community, having really started from the bottom and working her way all the way up to the top. That's absolutely right. I think her longevity with GM started when she was seventeen or eighteen and uh, was a student at the General Motors Institute and then working there. So if anybody knows that company, and frankly, uh, what's been wrong with the company uh, for so long. Uh, it's Mary Barra. By the way, uh, 
isn't it true that the move toward automation, autonomous vehicles, which I agree will not suddenly descend in two years or something, but it seems to me it's happening incrementally. I mean, a new car I have has all kinds of features in it, whether it's uh, dynamic cruise control or, um, <clears throat> excuse me, um, indications when the car is not following the line it should be on the road. Right. There are all kinds of things which are giving the car more and more uh, focus on uh decisions made in the vehicle rather than by the driver. And ultimately, of course, that is what autonomous vehicles means. Yeah. John Paul? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, some of the confusion about the exact pace of change is based on, you know, confusion about exactly what autonomous means. Um, There's this uh, you know, these categories from the Society of Automotive Engineers level uh, one to five. And, you know, level one is simple cruise control, which a lot of us have had in our cars for a long time. And level two involves many of these new features like, you know, lane uh, alerting you if you're drifting out of a lane and automatic stopping if you come upon another car in front of you too quickly. So um, we're marching through these lower levels of uh, autonomy. Uh, and it's a, it's a, progression which favors the automakers because they can add these features as options. Some they make standard, but they can charge for them. They can entice customers to buy packages of them and the like. Right. All of that is premised on the, the driver still having full control. So the really far out stuff that we're all excited to speculate about is so-called level four and level five when there's the driver has no role. There may not even be a steering wheel or, or brakes, and that's what looks uh, much, much further off. I think the auto companies would be quite happy if they, because it would make it easier for them to do this transition from the old world to the new, to gradually add features to existing products and then have some products piloted, you know, with full autonomy or in pilots for robo taxis that they do with crews or something like, like right. that. So. I mean that's a piece of what will actually maintain a fair amount of complexity in the in the design and assembly of cars. I think still favors the automakers as the ones who have the expertise to to do that. I don't see any new entrants coming along to suddenly displace the automakers as the ones who can do the the hard work of putting a car together. Um, uh, and making sure it's safe and uh, and meets regulations. Eric, a uh, uh, listener in Portland, Oregon, sent me a, a message on Twitter saying about how this may have an impact, a negative impact on the economy. I, I don't necessarily know if, if it will have a negative impact significantly right now, but, but also the question, I guess, to play off of that is, is this move that General Motors is going to be making over the next two years one that also will be followed by Ford? Uh, you know, by other automakers here in the U.S. Yeah, here's the here's where you worry about the economy. GM, then Ford, then Fiat Chrysler, as they as they lay people off, um, that hurts the economy. 
Um, and these are decent jobs. These are jobs with pretty decent pay. And where do the people go? Some of them are going to, uh, some of them will probably retire and not be making money. Others of them will find new jobs, maybe even better jobs. But a lot of them will, will drop down. They'll drop down to jobs that don't use their full skills, don't pay them as much money. Right. And, and that's not good for the economy. Marina, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, you know, there is this question about uh, will there be enough jobs, and I guess one should add enough decent jobs, um, with all these things going on. And, of course, one answer is, well, we've always adjusted in the past to innovative changes, and although we have no idea what or very little idea what these new jobs will be. Some of them will be in areas we haven't even thought of yet. Uh, the other side of it is, well, is all this change coming too fast for the economy to adjust? The big thing, I think, is that it's perfectly true that we've always adjusted in the past to these shifts. But what is less well-known is that it takes time and that there's a generation which will suffer when the textile mills in New England closed and the mills moved south and also automated. Yes, those towns, some of those towns have recovered, but some of them haven't. And certainly there was a generation of older workers for whom the good times never came back. Right. So these transitions, which are critical for economies to move forward, at the same time, do leave certain groups behind who will never uh, catch up. And the fact that this country is less generous than any other uh, wealthy country in the extent to which it tries to cushion these transitions for the people who are losing from them um, means that it is particularly tough. And the fact that eventually there will be new jobs we haven't thought of isn't much consolation to a 55-year-old textile worker and now today an auto worker for whom these are not going to come in time. Great having you all with us today. Thank you, John Paul. Eric and Marina, thank you both as well. Thanks, Dan. Our pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. John Paul McDuffie from here at the Wharton School, Eric Gordon and Marina Whitman from the University of Michigan. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.